Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host... I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! Welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. And I got to tell you, folks, I really, really want to thank you. Uh, Last week was such a major episode. Once again, it was the four-year anniversary of the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. And you folks really showed up, had a great time. There was a lot of folks on the live stream, which was just so fun to see. So thank you once again. And I got to tell you, I've really been reflecting as we've come up on this four-year anniversary and, and all the great guests that have been on the show and, and how important they've all been for the evolution of this podcast, you know, because again, this is all about telling stories of my heroes, you know, people from yesterday, from today, and even people who are going to be stars tomorrow, helping them tell their stories. It really isn't about me. It's about them and what they can share with the world because there was just some great tips and and examples that can be used and, you know, really endure uh, as far as I'm concerned forever. When I think about some of my favorite guests and and guests that you listeners have continuously talked about, there's somebody in particular who, you know, they've only been on the show once, but their impact was felt so much that it's like, you know what, I got to get this guy back. Got to get him back. And it's not other than Scoot Andrews. I mean, legitimately somebody that to this day, you listeners ask me about, how's Scoot doing? Can you get Scoot back on the show? What a great guy. What a nice guy. Oh, my God. And, and, and a lot of you have gone back and you've taken a, a look at some of Scoot's old matches and what have you just to, if you weren't as familiar with him when you first heard him on the show, you certainly are now. And I want to thank you for that. Keep doing that. Keep sharing Scoot Andrews matches and what have you because this brother was just ahead of his time and it's crazy to me because if he would have debuted within the past five years he'd be on the top of the business and and I truly believe that I truly feel that in my heart of hearts and all you have to do is watch any of his matches especially his stuff uh, you know Ring of Honor or or, or even the ECWA any of that stuff his stuff down in Florida any any Scoot Andrews stuff that you can find folks you watch what he was able to do out there, and you can see that this is a guy that really could have been a major star in the business if he would have started closer to today as opposed to when he did, back when it was a big man territory and all that nonsense there. So, you know, I, I'd be remiss. Without further ado, welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews. Duke, what's going on, my man? Uh Great intro. Thanks for thanks for the kind words. I can't believe it's been four years since I've been on this show. I swear it feels like it was only like a year ago. 
but glad to be back and looking forward to doing this thing with you, man. Well, seriously, Scoot, I, I got to tell you, man, and, and I'm going to start off with a question here. I want to know why. Uh, why are you such a good dude? And I, and I know that's kind of a strange thing to hear, but legitimately, one of the, the biggest takeaways that folks get when they go back and they listen to that episode is just the fact that you were such a good person. Where does that come from? And how are you able to afford to continue to be the way that you are? <laughs> well, that's a tough question to answer, man. Um, I would have to say it goes back to my, my childhood, raised by a single mom. I don't know if you have or anyone else that has in their in their childhood, but you've heard the stories of single black moms and how uh, how strict they were. Uh, she was definitely that. Uh, she was a man and a woman, <laughs> and she can still take me out today. As a matter of fact, I think I'm still scared to even say a cuss word in front of my mom. You know, I'm 53 years old. So uh, that was the beginning of it. And then, you know, just playing team sports, having great coaching, um, having coaches that, you know, no matter how good you were, how well you played, always kept you humble. So I was very blessed to have good coaches all the way through, you know, youth football, high school, and even in college. And you know what, man, I'm just one of those people that likes to please other people. We use this thing at my, at my company called HBDI, where it kind of uh, measures you and your personality and how you react and, and what your tendencies are. And there's four quadrants, and mine leans heavily into the people quadrant. So that means that I, I have a lot of empathy. I care what people think. I care about other people. I put other people before myself. And when I get stressed, I actually go outside of the graph with my caring for other people. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but I just think it's, the, you know, it's, it's in my nature. It's the way I'm wired and I just like pleasing others and being around people and, and making other people happy. You know, it's funny that you say that, Scoot, and, and it, it explains so much why you and I connect so well, because yeah, I definitely am from a single parent household as well. And, and my mom, first of all, she's a law enforcement officer. So you already know she doesn't oh, yeah. play around. Uh, <laughs> But she also has the Caribbean thing. She's originally from Jamaica. So when you talk about not messing around, by all means, brother, I know exactly what you're talking about. And to this day, at 37 years old, I, I will not cuss in front of my mom. That is a strict no-no. Uh, so I, I'm with you. Kindred spirits in that regard there. And that's interesting. That's interesting that you're a people pleaser. And it's no wonder why pro wrestling was something that you excelled in so effectively and, and even, you know, in, in business and in, in the line of work that you do now, why you're so successful, you not only do you want to please people in order to do that, you have to take the time to care enough to understand people. This is true. That is very, very true. And then if, if you take that to the wrestling business, um, I think Gabe Sapolsky for, that was with Ring of Honor at the time, now he's with Evolve, was quoted as saying that, you know, I was an ideal locker room guy. And I take pride in that. You know, some people look at that as a slight. You know, they look at it as I don't have much talent. So, you know, all he sees me as is the guy that's great in the locker room. But working with Hack Myers, who kind of took me under his wing as I was starting to come up in Florida and having great promoters and just understanding that, you know, your place in the locker room is, one, to sit, sit down and shut up when you're young and, and take everything in uh, and make sure that you say hello to everybody in the locker room when you walk in. And that's managers, that's referees, 
that's valets, that's workers, that's everybody in the room. And then as you become that veteran, you can't get away from that. You know, a lot some of the guys that you hear about being jerks in the locker room or, you know, they were good when they were younger, but as they got better in the business, they started to treat the younger people not the way they were treated. And that's not cool. So, you know, especially like a ring of honor, ECWA, you know, I was coming in for, you know, one shot here, one shot there, but you know, I was genuinely interested in meeting everybody in the locker room for one, because the talent level in, in those two locker rooms was through the roof. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to fit in be one of the guys and just not be that guy in the locker room and everybody goes, Oh, here comes that jerk again. So it was kind of a huge honor here. Gabe used those words in regards to me. Uh, and that means, you know, that people look at me in a light that, you know, I could trust that guy. That guy's always going to have a positive attitude. He's going to give you good advice. He's going to, you know, pay attention to your matching and, and give you pointers if you ask for it. He's going to ask you for pointers. I just want to be that guy that blended in with everybody. You were there during the heyday of ECWA when they had, you know, literally the, the greatest wrestling tournament in the world, the Super 8. And, and also, you're one of the original Ring of Honor guys. You were on the first show, and, and you were at other shows and what have you, and you did your thing. I mean, legitimately, you are a guy that has been around. You've been there and done that a few times over. You brought up Evolve. Does it trip you out to, to see some of these kids who, you know, were two or three years old, maybe not even born, who are now these pro wrestlers and, and they're coming through a territory like Evolve, literally a feeder for WWE's NXT system? Does it trip you out to see these kids? I mean, these are full-grown adults now, man. And, and <laughs> you know, they were, they were literally a gleam in their parents' eye or, or a baby who, who still needed to be nursed when you were kicking butt in the original uh, Ring of Honor. Man, let me tell you something. I'm going to put it in perspective. Two years ago, I did a, reu a reunion show for IPW down here in Florida, and I was in a title match with Austin Theory. Now, if you're watching NXT, and now I guess he's on Raw now, um, you know who All Day Austin Theory is. So, you know, Ron Nemi, promoter for IPW, so listen, we're going to do this. He pitched the whole thing to me. We're going to do this show. We're going to have some of the old guys come back, and you're going to work. It's going to be the old guys versus the up-and-coming generation, which sounds great in theory. So Darby Allen was on the show, Austin Theory, The Precipice, I think is what their name is, the tag team with Skinny Vinny as their manager. All these guys are with Evolve, and now obviously Austin has moved up and Darby's on AEW. But, you know, I walk into the, the dressing room and Austin's there and we, you know, we introduce ourselves and I'm just looking at this guy. Going, <laughs> he's 20 years old. I'm 51. So literally, he wasn't even born <laughs> when I started wrestling. And now I'm going to work this guy for 15, 20 minutes in the ring, one-on-one. -on -one. And granted, I was one of the few older guys that did, the, did a singles match, let alone with the 20-year-old kid who could absolutely go. And, and let me tell you something, I can, it does not surprise me that that kid is on Raw already. Um, his mind for the business, his psychology, he, he, he's a total package. He's a, what they call a prodigy when you look at you know, musicians who can just walk up to a piano and start playing. That's Austin Theory. That kid was unbelievable. One, probably one of my favorite matches in my entire career, and it happened, what, two years ago? Good stuff. So, yeah, it, it does kind of trip me out. It, 
kind of bums you out a little bit too, though. If you, you're a guy my age who, you know, was up and down the road in Florida all the way to Delaware, out to California, and you just had to be lucky enough to be seen by someone, um, which I was. Uh, but it would have been a heck of a lot easier if there had been a feeder territory uh, back then that you could learn the business, learn the psychology, do shows, do shows in front of hot crowds, and then have WWE's eyes on you the entire time you're doing it. So that would have been ideal for some of us back in the day. But you know what? It wasn't. I'm not bitter about it. You know, some of these old guys are bitter. They didn't get the chances they got. These kids are getting now. But, you know, watching Evolve and then watching people like Austin take off is huge, man. It was so much fun to work with that kid. And I think the sky's the limit for him. For sure, for sure. And and shout out to Austin Theory. Definitely, you know, I, I give him a hard time online as often as I can out of respect because <laughs> legitimately this kid is is just everyone I've spoken to, you know, now you, Rudy Boy Gonzalez, who's a mutual friend of ours, literally the trainer of champions, he puts over Austin as well as just being a kid who that's that's a hot ticket right there, man. That's that's a big prospect. And, you know, speaking of Rudy when I had you on the show four years ago, we were talking about Daniel Bryan in a, in a very similar light. I mean, when, when ring of honor started, that was his first major show and you were already a veteran in the business at that point. So (laughs) when you really think about the fact that 20 years ago, you were a veteran in the business, here you are today and you're a veteran in the business. And and we're, we're talking about these young guys and, and, how much promise and talent they have and what have you. It just, it blows my mind to, to hear you talk about Austin in a very similar way that you talked about Daniel Bryan. Very similar. Very similar. The only thing that, that Daniel didn't have was the size <laughs> that Austin has. But, yeah, they're very, very similar as far as their mentality and just unbelievable talents inside the ring. You know, Scoot, you're a guy who – you went through it all. I mean, you were, you're a big name on the indies and, you know, you worked WWE over and over and over again. You were a dependable person that they could plug in anytime they were in your neck of the woods. And we talked about that at length the last time you were on the show. Ultimately, you got to a point where you realized that pro wrestling couldn't be your main thing in life anymore and that you really, outside of your family, you had to find something else that was going to keep food on the table. And there was a point where you had to make that transition where you weren't Scoot Andrews, the wrestler, primarily, you, you know, you, that was a secondary deal. You had to be Andrew. Talk to me about that, Scoot, because we're living in a time where we have a global pandemic that has completely taken the wrestling industry in particular and turned it upside down. I mean, most promotions are not running right now, which means most wrestlers are not wrestling right now. Talk to me about that transition, man, when you have to go from being a pro wrestler primarily to just being a regular guy. How did that feel? And and do you have any advice for folks who may be faced with that issue right now? Early on in my career, when I was doing primarily Florida, you know, I had a job in sales and sales is typically like the easiest gig you could have that would allow you to be able to to do wrestling. Um, because your schedule is a little bit more flexible and, you know, you can be out doing whatever you need to be doing. 
So I, I was always able to do that um, while I was working. And then as I started to, you know, kind of realize you know, I'm probably never going to get signed by the WWE or WWF back then and then became WWE. You know, they used me numerous times, but, you know, never, ever got to the point where they were talking about contracts or anything like that. And I think maybe even Kevin Kelly had even told me that they wanted me to go to Japan or, or do something to make more of a name for myself before I came on. Basically, they were just telling me I was too small. But I kind of realized, you know, that's probably not where it's going to happen. And I'll give you an example. I knew for a fact it wasn't going to happen when um, Christopher Daniels and I tagged against Kai and Tai, which was uh, Taka and I forget the other guy's name. It could have been Funaki. Yeah, it was Funaki. Funaki. Um, And we had an an awesome tag match. It's out on YouTube if you want to look for it. But um, when we got done, we came back to the back, and Arn Anderson met us at the curtain. And, you know, Arn is is the agent for all tag matches or was before he moved over to AEW. And we come back through Gorilla. And normally, you know, as as enhancement, you you just walk through Gorilla, they go get match, and you – you head back, get dressed, and go stand in front of the monitor to be seen. But as we came back through the curtain, I mean, Aaron greeted all four of us and was like, that's what you call a tag team match. That was a joy to watch. You guys were unbelievable. Great psychology. I love this. I love that. Wait, you know, I love the go home. I love everything you guys did. That was freaking amazing. So as Chris Daniels and I are walking to our – to the locker room to get get dressed. We're looking at each other like, holy crap, I think we might have just got a job, brother. <laughs> um, then the next day we drove to Orlando and worked each other in a dark match, and nothing ever happened. So, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, as you're waiting for that call, you're waiting for that call, you're waiting for that call, it never came, and I kind of realized, you know what, this may not be the the ticket that's going to pay, <laughs> pay for uh, my future. So... You know, again, stay very dedicated to the business, never missed a booking, never missed training, never missed really anything. But I kind of started to try to figure out what I might want to do the rest of my life. Long story short, I kind of morphed wrestling into my, cor- my corporate life and kind of jumped headlong into being a corporate or sales trainer. Not having any sales training background, never even really had a public speaking class other than, you know, standing in front of people in your tights with a mic in your hand and kind of morphed the personality of Scoot Andrews into myself. And it's funny because every time I would go in front of a training class or stand up to give a speech or or to give a talk, I would basically, my voice would completely change and I'd go right into Scoot Andrews and, you know, got over my fear of you stand in front of people I didn't know. Obviously, in a wrestling ring, you're, you're separated by the ring, the barriers, and all you really see is, you know, a blur. But when you're standing in front of 15 salespeople and you have to teach them how to do something specific, you got to really be tuned into what's going on. So I actually used the wrestling background as a way to morph into something that I could use in corporate America. So got very lucky in that I had a manager who was a huge wrestling fan. When I say huge wrestling fan, I think he was like a personal assistant to some guy back in the seven, back in the championship of wrestling from Florida in the seventies. And he would literally let me book training classes wherever Monday night raw was that they had an opening. 
So I could literally go, Hey, Raw's going to be in Chicago next Monday. Let's do a spin. Can I do a spin selling class for the Chicago office? And he was like, book it. <laughs> it was money. So I was able to use, yeah, probably not a good thing to say out loud. The company's not a business anymore, but I was able to use company travel to get to Chicago, do the show, do SmackDown on Tuesday, and then do a training class on Wednesday and Thursday and fly home on Friday to be ready for my independent shots on, on the weekend. So that worked out really well. That's why you will see me on so many different WWE matches and different venues and so many different people I worked because at first it was just Florida, but then it became whenever, you know, I would call up Dr. Tom and see if they had anything available. And whenever he tell me places they had spots and then I would go back to my boss and book a training class around it. So all that being said, um, got married had two kids, which I think we talked about my kids on the, on the last shot we did. And, you know, it got to a point where I had a two year old and one on the way and a wife going, you, you don't really need to be gone so much with work and on the weekends. So that's kind of when I made a decision to, you know, hang them up. You know, we never really hang them up permanently, but that's kind of when I hung them up. And, and then I just took that corporate training thing and um, took it as far as I could, got it in with a great company that I'm with now for 13 years. And that went with the, having the sales background prior and then the training background. And then I just became a, a great candidate for management. And now I'm a director um, of the company I'm with now. So the advice I would give, as you asked me at the beginning of this very long answer was uh, the advice I would give is have, have something to fall back on. I mean, it's great to put all your eggs in the wrestling basket um, and give it everything you got. Um, similar to, I mean, I saw the thing about Austin theory on the wrestlers or whatever, which is on vice. Well, I mean, he pretty much dedicated everything he has to wrestling and that's great. He got there, but for every Austin theory, there's a hundred guys that aren't. So always have something that you can fall back on. Don't let wrestling be your primary way of earning a living. Yeah, you know, it could be the it could be the it could be a big chunk of it, but if it's the only thing you're doing to make money, and I mean you're an ACL tear away from being broke. So have find something that you can dabble in. I mean I know I, I'll bring up another person, Chad Collier. I don't know if you remember him. He was in Super 8 with us. Uh, he's he went into comedy now he's doing magic shows. You know, it's not corporate America, but guess what? It's something else. And he's doing very well with, he's been all over the world doing his magic shows and he had something to fall back on. You gotta have something else. And I know you heard that everybody hears that when they're playing any kind of sport, if you're never going to go pro, you gotta have something to fall back on. You just gotta have something else. If you got that something else and when it all comes to an end and you can just turn and shift all that passion into what you were doing, then you're going to be in a very, very, very good place. And that's where I am right now. That's a great point. That's a great point. Once again, folks, we're talking to the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews here. He's dropping some gems here. And, and you don't have to look far to see examples of exactly what you're talking about. I mean, veterans who are before your time, like Dusty Wolf, this guy is a, and, and I think I told you this before, he's an adjunct professor. And that's been the way he's kept food on the table at his household. But even stars of today, Folks like Becky Lynch and, and John Cena and, and, and Batista, these folks are doing acting 
and they're making themselves available for commercials and all these other things. Like you said, don't put your all your eggs in one basket because it's one injury, an ACL, a, a neck, or whatever. It's one injury. That's all it takes to take this this dream away from you. And then what? You know, it, starting from the bottom is not easy, <laughs> especially when you have no choice but to do so. Um, and, and, and that's a, a challenge that you see so many places. It's like, where do you even begin when you're forced to retire from the main thing that you've, you've been doing and that you put so much into? So that's that's great advice there, Scoot. Um, and, and I like what you said there about the fact that you performed in so many different venues all over the country, because I wondered about that. And I should have asked you about that the, the last time you were on the show. You you absolutely were in all the major cities, and it, it never registered to me. In fact, it confused me when you told me that they never gave you a contract, because it's like, well, Scoot, you were everywhere, though. So now it makes sense that you were you were utilizing the uh, benefits from the other job and, and combining the opportunities in order to get to all these different places. I mean, that's sharp, brother. That's hustling right there. Yeah, man. And, you know, again, 90% of, of good things that happen to you in life or, or when oppor- is luck and opportunity coming together. And, you know, I was very lucky to have a supervisor who was such a huge wrestling fan that – you know, he was more pumped for me going to Chicago, more pumped for me going to L.A. to do Raw than he was for me to actually be doing my real job, which was really, really cool. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't even think I would have even gotten any training gig if that guy had not been such a huge wrestling fan. It's crazy how wrestling was the reason I ended up becoming a trainer because I bombed the interview as far as, like, presenting because I didn't know what I was doing, for one. But he took a flyer on me because he kind of understood what it took to do what we do in wrestling. And he, he knew those skills would be transferable. So, again, being very, very lucky, and it worked out well. Yeah, man, I was in L.A. I did the Staples Center. I did the Pond in Anaheim, Chicago, St. Louis. Um, never did the Garden. My boy Mike Sullivan, my tag team partner here at IPW for a few years, also known as Freedom Rider with IPW, was from New York. So uh, he got the uh, the Madison Square Garden shot over me because he, you know, they wanted to hook him up in his hometown. I was good with that. So that's the only major venue I did not work in. And I'm, kind of, I'm bummed about it, but not because my boy got to do it. It's cool that he was able to do that since he was a hometown boy, so to speak. That's good stuff. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because you, you mentioned the garden, Madison Square Garden, New York. Literally, it will forever be the home of the WWE doesn't matter if they ever perform there again. That will always be known as WWE territory right there. You know, all those fans screaming at the top of their lungs, to seeing pro wrestling, you know, people in the ring, settling differences right there. I mean, it gets no better than that. And I was going to say, Ben, it's the one arena where the entrance was on the side of the ring. If you remember as a child, why not? Obviously, they don't use that entrance anymore. But it was always cool to watch the wrestlers just as they had the, the hard camera focused on the ring. You could just see them coming through that door and walking down that little short tunnel right down the middle of the arena into the, into the ring. It was super cool. Never Absol- got to do it, though. <laughs> yeah. That, but that's, that's a great description. And, and absolutely. Coming, coming in from the side of the ring as opposed to what we're, we're used to there. 
dealing with this global pandemic that has shut down literally everything, including all different types of entertainment, you know, uh, music events and plays and sports and pro wrestling. I mean, literally, did you ever imagine in, in your wildest dreams that you would live to see a day where pro wrestling would be presented on a consistent basis without fans? You know, man, that's that's a very interesting question. A good friend of mine and I were talking about that the other day. I mean, it, you know, you talk about would you ever imagine it in your lifetime? Hell, I wouldn't have imagined it four months ago. It's, I mean, I never would have imagined they would have canceled, I, would, so I say canceled WrestleMania, but, you know, canceled the actual show in, in the Tampa Stadium and did it made it a two-night with no fans. I mean, it is such an unprecedented time right now, man. It is, it's scary. And, it, and if, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Contagion, but if you haven't, take a look at that movie because it, it basically is everything that is happening to us right now in that movie. It's, it's almost scary how similar it is to what we're going through. But then, you know, you look at where we are right now and your question about the pandemic and, and the wrestling business. I mean, I can even imagine being a, a wrestler who's obviously not with one of the big companies doing independent shows. First of all, your, 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 your gym or your ring where you train is closed. No shows. No gyms are open. Um, you know, if you live in an apartment, you don't have access to a, any weights or gyms or anything. I mean, how, how do you even as a professional worker, stay in shape, let alone, you know, keep your skills sharp. And then once, you know, once this lifts a little bit and they get to start, I heard, I heard there's a couple of states that are doing some shows this coming weekend, but I can't imagine everybody walking into that, into that ring and that is not going to blow up on the first freaking spot they do because they haven't been able to do any wrestling. And for those of you guys who've never, you know, been a wrestler, you know, the, there's there's no cardio you can do on the planet that can prepare you for what you're going to do in the ring other than going to a ring and getting it in. It's it's going to be sloppy. I, I wouldn't even want to see the first couple of shows. <laughs> it's got to be sloppy, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's it's been so long that you, you kind of have to work out the, the ring rust, so to speak. You know, you got to get the kinks out. And especially since you don't have that crowd to play off of, I mean, goodness, just stand in an empty room and try to have a conversation with somebody. You will get so self-conscious real quick when you hear the echo, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I was telling uh, a good friend of mine, we're having drinks the other night and had a couple cigars and we're just, we're six feet apart, but we were talking and he's a huge wrestling fan. He's three doors down from me. He was trying to talk me into going to Mania, and I was like, "Listen, dude, I don't, I don't pay to go to. I'm not going to pay to go to a wrestling show, but I'll, I, you know, I'll watch it with you at your house." But we were just talking about how just watching Raw right now, um, you know, I try to keep up with AJ and, and Daniel Bryan and, and Samoa Joe, all my friends, and it's to me as a being a former wrestler, it's it's unwatchable because you can hear everything. You know, I was joking about Otis when he was doing his spot with Mandy or whatever, when he won the uh, money in the bank, like in between everything he did, he was saying, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In between everything, which I'm pretty sure he's done his whole career, but you can't really hear it in an arena full of people. 
but it just jumps out at you so loudly when you watch him work in a quiet, no noise arena. And it's got to be distracting. I can't even imagine what it would be like to even try to do a match. Now, obviously you train in front of nobody and that's awkward, but as a heel, which I was a lot of my career and feeding off the crowd and working the crowd and finding that one person in the front row that you can jaw back and forth with, no matter, you know, if the match started to get a little slower, a little lull in the match, if you wanted to get the crowd back into it and that person not being there, I mean, that would be extremely hard. You look at a guy like Otis, where he's the Money in the Bank winner, this this comedy act that he has going on. And, you know, he has a wrestling background. He wrestled in, in high school. He may have done it in college as well. He's a big guy uh, as well, a strong guy. But this comedy act is the thing that's getting over. And, and it just seems like they're having to find a way to do something other than the traditional get it done in the ring just to entertain folks and, and because it has to translate more like a television show as opposed to a sports exhibition, which, you know, you and I are guys that love the NWA territories because it was real wrestling. That was the stuff that we grew up on. And I know that's a lot of the stuff that you patent your style of wrestling and even the way that you delivered your promos you know, folks like Ric Flair and, of course, the American Dream, Dusty Rose, you being a Florida guy, you, you talked about these guys being such major influences uh, on your career. So it, it's interesting to see the shift where they're really going back to this more entertainment-focused product because how many people can really sit there and watch just a regular wrestling match without any kind of crowd response for hours at a time? Ah. I can't, I mean, it's almost unwatchable for me. I mean, again, being a former wrestler and just understanding what it takes to get the crowd in in the palm of your hand. And one of the things that I learned early on was, you know, when you go for a pin towards the end of the match and if the crowd is not counting one, two, three during that, during that count, then you don't really have them in your hand. Right. But you know, the, the best matches you've ever seen, the whole crowd counts in unison one, two, and then that three hits, and then everybody loses their mind. I mean, now that that that's not there, <laughs> it's not there at all. So you know, the crowd is a great way for you to judge how your match is going, and you can adjust on the fly. But with no crowd, there's no adjusting on the fly. And then, I mean, how do you really adjust on the fly when they can hear everything you're saying? So it, it's got to be brutally hard for you to even communicate with your opponent in the in the ring. It, even if you like blow a spot, how do you recover from that without saying it loud enough for everybody to hear it? That, that's got to be incredibly hard. And you know what else is incredibly hard? And, and I really want to get your perspective on this because, again, you're a guy that even before you became a wrestler, just growing up, you know, you love that NWA product and that championship wrestling from Florida and, and seeing guys like Dusty Rhodes. His son, Cody, is, is not only a pro wrestler today, but he's also a, a executive. He's, a, he's an executive vice president of All Elite Wrestling. And he's one of the main architects that have put together the number two pro wrestling promotion in the world right now. What are your thoughts on that? Just to, to see a second generation wrestler go from being just a, a kid who's trying to figure it out in the ring to now being somebody who legitimately is responsible for people having jobs in the industry. 
You know, he, he's helping run an a entire promotion and a successful promotion. What are your thoughts seeing that, something like that, Scoot? You know, first of all, the fact that Dusty's kid is in charge of an entire company completely blows my mind. But it doesn't, really, because if you if you hear of any of the older guys talk about, you know, the championship wrestling from Florida, even the old um, Mid-Atlantic and the Crockett days, just Dusty's mind for creating angles and the way – you know, he, 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 he created stars and elevated stars and made stars out of everybody he touched. It, it doesn't surprise me that that apple fell right on top of that tree <laughs> because, you know, Dusty was way ahead of his time, as a lot of people like to put it. Um, and the fact that his kid was always around that, it does not surprise me that he has, that he's taken this thing and run with it. And then my tie to the whole thing is, you know, not, not a lot of people know this about me, and I'm not sure if you if you see my Twitter, you know I am. I'm a huge Jacksonville Jaguar fan, so the fact that the Jags owner owns the wrestling company makes it even better. Um, I think I probably could have got a job there if I was still doing this, just from my sheer fact that I'm such a huge Jags fan. Um, but yeah, man, I think it's a great thing. I mean, he's just like his dad. Hell, he even sounds like his dad a little bit if you close your eyes and listen. And it's just a testament to the fact that. He sat, he paid attention, he watched, he learned from his dad. Some people can have a parent who does great things and they, they want to just cut their own path and not listen to what their parents have to tell them. And then they always circle back and go, if I had just listened to my dad or if I had just listened to my mom, I'm pretty sure Cody listened to his dad a lot and has taken a lot of what his dad gave him and, and is running with it right now. And a lot of people will argue it's a much much more watchable product than what's coming out of New York right now. So I'm in the middle. Of, I like both, but they, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And, and that's a very good thing for a lot of people. Let us know, Scoot. If anyone wants to uh, check in with the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews, and, and hear your thoughts, you know, you, you chime in about pro wrestling. You definitely talk about football. And hopefully we get something. We get some kind of football coming up this year. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, let, let everybody know. How can they follow you online there, Scoot? Well, the best place to follow me is on Twitter. Um, hopefully the president doesn't shut it down, um, but <laughs> which is hilarious to me. But my handle on Twitter is BNB Scoot Andrews. Pretty easy. BNB for Black Nature Boy Scoot Andrews. And you will find me there. Friend me, follow me. I'll follow you back. And pretty simple. Scoot, before I let you go, uh, first of all, I want to give you a, a formal invitation because, listen, I can't wait another four years to have you back on the show. <laughs> so let's, let's give it some time and see, you know, later on this summer where, where we are in the pro wrestling and also the NFL world. Can I get you to come back not only on the show, but I'd like you to come back and do a, a live video episode of the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. Can we, can we put that together and have you come and do that? And you tell me the date and the time. I'll be there. I love it. I love it. Yes, sir. So, so, so we'll, we'll definitely book that. But before I let you go, I know that you, you love your family. You know, the last time you were on the show, you talked about your wife and the kids and, and what have you, which is just awesome. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I really respect you so much as well. You're, you're definitely a family man. Tell me, out of everybody in the house, who is most likely to be the pro wrestler? 
Okay, you, you've probably never been asked that question before, so I will put you on the spot now. I'm not saying that they're going to do it, but if anyone were to come to you and say, Dad, I'm going to follow in one of your footsteps at least. I, I'm, I'm going to be a wrestler. Who would it be and why? I'm going to say my youngest, Ashton, the uh, soccer player, track, track athlete. One, because she has got the personality to pull it off. She can walk into a room and light it up. Uh, she's freaking hilarious. She, she's, I mean, it's to the point. She's very much like me in that she tries to make everybody laugh a lot. Uh, sometimes it falls flat. Sometimes it doesn't, but you know, <laughs> she can definitely take over a room. She also has the athletic ability to pull it off. Now I can, I, I, I'm going to take it a step further and say she's one, a one B would be my oldest daughter. And I think they would make a hell of a tag team. Because my youngest daughter would be the fast, high-flying mouthpiece. But my oldest daughter, who does competitive cheer, and she's probably, arguably, the number one uh, senior-level cheer team in America, in the world, actually. They got screwed out of winning the world championship because Worlds got canceled. But she is, she is kind of built like a, a linebacker. Not, not, you know, she's not fat by any means, but she's just solid. Her legs are big as mine. And she can pick, I'm 200, I'm still 200 pounds. She can come up and grab me around the race and, and pick me up off the ground. So she could be the, she could be the muscle of the tag team. And then my youngest would be the mouthpiece and the high flyer. So they, I think they could make a hell of a tag team. They're, no, they're not going anywhere near a wrestling ring, just so you know. But they would make a hell of a tag team. Scoot Andrews, the black nature boy. You're a corporate trainer pro wrestler, husband, and girl dad. As always, brother, really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, man, anytime. I really appreciate you wanting me back on. You know, it's hard sometimes for us old guys, and we worry about people forgetting who we are. But, uh, you know, anytime you want me on, man, just give me a shout, and we'll make it happen. It is always a pleasure to speak with Scoot Andrews. I mean, like I said, just a really classy guy, good person, you know, there's something about speaking to good people. It just, it really feeds the soul because we need that, right? We need to bounce ideas and share information with people who actually, you just know that they actually care about other people and you know that they have something to offer. Um, I'm of the belief that we all have something to offer, you know, some bad, but most of us, a lot of good. And when you have somebody like Scoot Andrews who you can communicate with, it's just, boy, I'll tell you, man, I could talk to that dude forever, you know, and I was happy that he chose to come back to the show. That was four years in the making, man. He's one of my, my original guests. So really cool. Thank you again, Scoot. That's my guy. You know, folks, it's it's been a crazy week in pro wrestling. And it's going to go down in history just because of how all over the place it's been. You know, of course, we had the tragic passing of uh, Shad Gaspard. He was one half of crime time in the WWE. You know, this guy's a husband. He's a, he's a father. Somebody's son had that tragic, tragic accident where he was swimming with his son. And, you know, the water started getting a little rough. They needed help. Lifeguards jump in to help out, and Shad said, no, don't grab me. Grab my, my kid. So they saved the son, and unfortunately, 
Shad was taken away and then they you know, found him days later. Just tragic. Tragic. In his final moments, he was saving someone else's life. And when you listen to people talk about Shad and the things they say about him, you can't find a bad word about the guy. Just a, a, a class personified individual, no different from Scoot Andrews, just a, a, a good guy. You can tell Shad is really a good guy, right? So it's a big loss. It's a big loss. We had another loss that we had to deal with under different circumstances, but no less tragic. Hannah Kamara. This is somebody who, in my opinion, was going to be the next big thing in pro wrestling. Talented. Supremely creative. Beautiful. She passed away at the hands of suicide. And the culprit was cyberbullying. She's on a, a show on Netflix, Terrace House, and I guess... People who watched the show, they took issue with something that she did on the show and they inundated her with just horrible, horrible messages. And, you know, at least one person told her to go kill herself and she sure went ahead and did it. And it, it just it breaks my heart, man, because legitimately I've been watching Hannah for the last few years. I mean, and just loving everything that she does. I mean, and she's reinvented herself a few times and it's just been tremendous. Oh, and Caitlin, who's been on the show, and she's part of Duke's wrestling crew. Caitlin has some great photos of meeting Hannah at meeting greets when Hannah's done some tours here in America, and just beautiful photos. It's like, man, this is somebody who's going to be a big star. I believe Hannah Kamara could have been as big a name in pro wrestling as anyone today. I think she would have had that type of appeal. And she's young too, man. So she had time. If she would have made it to the WWE, can you imagine what they could have done with her? She could work. Outfits and, and colorfulness is just, it translates so well. I mean, just, it could have been amazing. And unfortunately, we, we're just, we're never going to know because her life is cut short at the hands of cyberbullying. Now, I got to tell you, folks. And this is, and, and we're going to end the show with this segment here. There's a lot of people out there who make it their business to just say the most vile, negative things to others online. And they make it like this is a game for them. This is what they do. And it's just, it needs to stop. And I know some of you out there, oh, freedom of speech. I could say whatever I want. Or I'm just telling the joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. Especially if you're the only one laughing. There was a guy, and I'm not going to mention his name. There's a guy who has some kind of show, some kind of podcast. And he made some very disparaging remarks about Alexa Bliss recently. Where he was, you know, talking trash about her ability to wrestle, which is fine. You don't like the way that she wrestles, that's fine. There's, you know, there's a lot of people who I don't particularly like the way that they do things either. And if you're going to critique somebody's style or what they do, that's fine. I got no issues with that. But he said some things about her that was just ridiculous. About her and, and you know, it was, a, it was a sexual comment in nature as well. It was just completely over the top, completely unacceptable. And 
a lot of folks let him know about it. Wrestlers and, and, and podcasters and fans and everybody, a lot of people let him know that they were not happy with what he said. And this isn't a new thing for him. This guy's been saying crazy stuff for a long time. So he doubled down and tripled down and said, hey, you know, I say whatever I want. You know, it's a joke and you don't like it, whatever. All this nonsense, right? Because the guy doesn't have a line. Or if he does have a line, it's so far that I I would never even want to see where it was to cross it. Just, you know, because that's the thing. Keep in mind, folks, you can say whatever you want to people, but there's got to be a line. If you have any morals, if you care about people, there are lines you just don't cross. And if this guy was willing to cross that line with Alexa Bliss on the heels of the death of, 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 of Hannah Kamara, right? He's saying all these disparaging things about her. He's making sexual comments in relation to the disparaging things. You know, Alexa Bliss has been very open about the fact that she's had eating disorders and she's had some other challenges that she is still actively working against. You know, she's defeating these things, but she, you know, it's a it's a battle every day. So we know, we have an idea about her mental state and, and what have you. And you're going to sit there and you're going to pile on that, that lady and say these just nasty, terrible things to her. Okay. So people who are hiding behind the veil of supporting Alexa Bliss, I guess they must have doxed this guy and they started sending terrible messages to his family members and saying things to them. Now, I'm sure this was some kind of eye for an eye justice sort of nonsense here, but can you imagine? Let's say it's 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 my, you know, crazy cousin over there who's saying something crazy. You're going to call me at all hours of the of the night and threaten me or say nasty things to me. What, what do I have to do with what he says? That's his problem. That's not my problem. Right. So it's it's crazy because in this instance, the people who believe they're they're doing something positive you have become that which you claim to be against. If you were sending nasty messages to this guy's family and and to all these other folks, his loved ones, what have you, you're no better than he is, right? And if you want to go and tell him that he's wrong for what he said and he shouldn't have said it, that's fine. That's, That's completely above board. But you don't need to threaten and you don't need to, to go on some tirade and carry on and all this other nonsense. You've become that which you claim to be against. That's important, man. We have to check ourselves, right? We have to constantly ask ourselves, is what I'm doing okay? Is this all right? And if you got to consult with somebody else in order to find the answer to that question, then by all means do that. But... Some of you mob mentality folks are just completely, I don't know what to say to you. And you're hiding behind sticking up for somebody else. That wasn't, that had nothing to do with Alexa Bliss. That had everything to do with you just wanting to be the bully for a change. And to the guy who said the things about Alexa Bliss, hey, I'm going to tell you right now, I hope you're very uncomfortable, my friend. Not even my friend. 
my my fellow human, I hope you're very uncomfortable. And I hope you you feel that to the to the core. Because you need to know that what you did was unacceptable. And you need to know that it can't happen again. And this guy's apologized, right? And I saw Alexa accepted his apology and, you know, kudos to her for doing that. I'm not sure that I would have accepted his apology so quickly, but hey, that's my cross to bear, I guess. But I got to tell you, folks, we're going in the wrong direction. It's okay to be fans. It's okay to call out people who you, you know, who are against the people that you're rooting for and all that within the, the realm of pro wrestling. But there are lines you don't cross. It's like when I had Vince Russo on the show and he was talking about the folks who have threatened him, including Jim Cornette, by the way, who literally threatened to kill him over a wrestling show that he wrote because they didn't like that he wrote a wrestling show. You wouldn't say that to Vince McMahon's face, but you're going to you're gonna threaten Vince Russo that you're going to kill him because he wrote a wrestling show that you didn't like. We are dealing with a global pandemic. We have innocent Americans, okay? Specifically black and brown folks who are literally being murdered by law enforcement out there. Senselessly. Three people it's happened to in the past month, by the way. So much loss and so much ugliness in the world that we're being faced with folks things that we these are real challenges that we got to endure and that our loved ones are enduring why on god's green earth would you take the time to add more challenges to somebody else's day be careful what you say to people and make sure whatever you're saying to people you'd be okay with it being plastered all over the world for everybody to see your mother your father your boss god whoever right and don't turn into the bully. That's the other part. Don't turn into that which you claim to be against. Don't turn into the monster. Continue to advocate against that stuff, man. Come on. I thought it was important to have a guy like Scoot Andrews on the show this week because when I think about an example of a just a really, really good person, again, it's Scoot. Scoot comes to mind. When I talk to people who have listened to the show throughout its duration, I mean, Scoot Andrews is a name that pops up constantly is that was a really good guy, right? And I'm sure most of you listening right now, you are really good people. Allow that aspect of who you are to continue to be out front, especially for the world to see. Don't give in to the temptation to, to be the jerk online who's saying nasty things to people that upset them and what have you again if it's a wrestling show and you want to talk trash to the heels i you know roman reigns is 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 my arch nemesis okay he needs to get rid of the contract get out of this business get out of my life right that's a rick flair quote by the way that's all i'm talking about the damn character and i'm just talking nonsense right that's okay if you got a problem with a wrestler, wrestling character, and you want to say this is the worst wrestler, and I don't like the way they do this, and why they're on TV, that's okay. But there's a line. Do not cross that line. And if you're unsure where the line is, like I said, partner up with some folks, find out. They'll help you. But as you can see by this guy who gave Alexa Bliss a hard time, if you do not want to be on the receiving end of that kind of stuff, and I don't think anyone should ever have to be, 
But if you don't want to be on the receiving end of that kind of stuff, don't treat anybody that way. That's right. That's right. Listen, I want to thank everybody for last week. You know, we had our, our four-year anniversary, which is great. Boston Bad Boy took time out of his uh, allegedly busy schedule to join us, and we were on video. So if anyone who listens to the show, if, if you just listen to audio, I, I encourage you, go to the YouTube channel, Duke Loves Wrestling. So that's YouTube.com forward slash Duke Loves Wrestling, R-A-S-S-L-I-N. Check out last week's episode. Okay, the four-year anniversary, Duke Loves Wrestling, uh, two hundred eight. Check that out. You you will get to see us with some crazy banter on video, and a bunch of folks who've been on the show through the years pop in and they let you know after after they've given me a hard time, which they all did. I don't know why. After they give me a hard time, they let you know how the show has affected their lives in a positive way and what have you, which is just so cool, right? I've told you from the beginning, the whole purpose of doing this show is to help people tell their stories and to add something positive to the pro wrestling community. That's the point here, right? So to connect with other fans and to connect with our favorites from yesterday, today, and even tomorrow, Share these experiences on the show. That's the point, man. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. So, again, check us out on YouTube. You can see that video. Hit the subscribe button wherever you listen or watch. Who knows? Maybe I'll do some more videos here. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing. Let me let me let you in on a little secret here. I'm thinking about doing a daily video series, right? Where I just talk about one or two topics and how they relate to each other. Be like a three to five minute clip. Just something clip. Quick, you know. Who knows? Maybe I'll I'll throw that out there. You folks let me know. Send me a message at Duke Loves Wrestling on Facebook, on Twitter, or email Duke Loves Wrestling at Gmail. Would you like to see a daily video from the Duke discussing a major topic in pro wrestling? Again, it'll be a quick take, right? But I'm thinking about it. Constantly pushing, constantly innovating. That's what we're here for. That's right. All right. Well, I got to get out of here. Next week, I have a tremendous guest lined up. Literally, literally, she is the most likely person. If if beings from space, if extraterrestrials were to land on Earth right now, This doctor that I'm going to have on the show next week, she is the most likely person to have first contact and to actually interact with them. I'm serious. She's that brilliant. She's she's a major scientist. She's been on the, the show Mars, which is on the History Channel, which is a really innovative show. They talk about what would happen if we actually colonized Mars, of all things. Can you believe that? Well, Duke, what the heck would she be doing on a pro wrestling show? Well, humanoid, I guess you're going to have to listen next week and find out. But I will give you a hint. She does know a few wrestlers and she has something to say about them. That's right. That's right. 
Okay, until next week, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others. The voice of WCW, the voice of AEW, a person who, in my book, just may be the greatest commentator of all time. Take it away, Tony Schiavone. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.